Welcome back to another episode of the Superhumanized Podcast. As always, I am so thrilled you are spending what's most precious, and that's your time, with me and my honored guests, and I have a really special episode today. Superhumanize. Accelerated Evolution. Our genes do not control our life, as many of us have been led to believe. The vast majority of illnesses do not start in our bodies, as the old model of biology has taught in the past. Instead, we're coming to understand that it is our nervous system that reads our environment, interprets our environment, and then sends control signals to our cells, which answer to these signals creating sickness or health. Our mind and the way we think is the most powerful influence on our well-being. Today's guest... Dr. Bruce Lipton is regarded as one of the leading voices of the new biology. He's an internationally recognized leader in bridging science and spirit. A cell biologist by training, Bruce was on the faculty of the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and later performed groundbreaking stem cell research at Stanford University School of Medicine. This research revealed that the environment, which operates via the cell membrane, controls the behavior and physiology of the cell, turning genes on and off. Dr. Lipton's discoveries challenged the established scientific view that life is controlled by genes and paved the way for one of today's most cutting-edge fields of study, the science of epigenetics, the new science of how environment and perception control genes. Dr. Lipton is the best-selling author of The Biology of Belief, as well as The Honeymoon Effect and Spontaneous Evolution, co-authored with Steve Behrman. He's a recipient of the prestigious Goi Peace Award in Japan in honor of his scientific contribution to world harmony. On today's episode, we talk about the epigenetic revolution of science, the relationship between thoughts and reality, how our minds are programmed when we're very young, and how 65% of these programs are dysfunctional. And we also talk about how to rewrite these programs, placebo and nocebo effects, the power of positive thoughts, and how the current crisis we're collectively living through is an opportunity for evolution. You're going to leave this interview feeling empowered, inspired, and perhaps also a bit daunted, because the takeaway is that we are largely in control of our destiny. summer and I have passionately dedicated the last 12 years of my life to creating the ultimate human experience mentally, physically and spiritually based on the most powerful ancient teachings and cutting edge modern discoveries and technologies. The Superhumanized Podcast is a show committed to sharing what I have learned from the world's leading experts in order to help you achieve your full potential and create your best life ever. I'm so absolutely, genuinely, profoundly from my heart thrilled to welcome you to the Superhumanized podcast, Bruce. It is such a pleasure to connect with you today. Ariana, I am so happy to connect with you because sometimes you can see people who are walking the talk, in other words, who understand it, but also employ this knowledge. And it's quite evident from the the vital energy that radiates from you. and 
and how healthy you are that, yeah, there's a better way on this planet and you've seen it. You're most kind, Bruce, and you certainly have been very influential with regards to my own path. And I've read your one of your best-selling books, internationally best-selling books, The Biology of Belief, many years ago, and reread it throughout the years. And every time I gather something else, it's like this hermeneutic spiral of understanding. Once you're at a certain level, you understand something else even better, your mind opens up even more. The people who have followed this podcast, I would guess that 99% know your name and know who you are because the lives of most of my audience are truly about elevating not only their own life, but there's also a desire to elevate human, the human family as a whole. I do wish, however, to just take a quick uh, view over especially the book, The Biology of belief where you revealed that it's actually not the genes that control our life as we've been conditioned to believe, and that much rather it's our nervous system that assesses our environment and then interprets this environment and sends a control signal to our cells. And then our cells respond to these signals by either creating health or disease. Now, I'm very simplifying this very... Well, that is actually the basic, very basic rule, and it's exactly the summary of this whole thing. And it comes down to the fact, yeah, but what are you thinking? Because that thinking is going to control your genes. Yes. And so when you published this book, it, when it first was published, in a sense, you also challenged the holy church of science. Uh, can yeah. you tell us what the previous model of understanding of DNA was and how you understood DNA? And then tell us how does this look like today? Where are we at right now in science? As you mentioned, I started this a long time ago. 1967 was the breakthrough year where my research revealed that genes do not control life. And of course, I've been a teacher and a professor in a medical school for a long time where I teach the conventional belief. It's called genetic determinism, and almost all the population is familiar with that belief, the belief that your genes turn on and off, and in the process control the character of your life, which makes us victims, if you understand the meaning, because it says, I didn't pick the genes, and if I don't like them, I can't change them, and then they're controlling themselves, and I'm just like following behind where the genes are taking me, which means victim of my heredity. And this is the unfortunate problem because so many people believe, oh, there's cancer running in the family and there's a cancer gene and I'm going to get the cancer gene. A little sidebar right here. I love it. There's not one gene that causes cancer. There's not a gene that causes cancer, especially women are associated with a breast cancer gene because that's a big thing going on. And people like Angelina Jolie has a She's very young and healthy and vibrant. She has a double mastectomy and the idea that I will prevent that cancer from happening because my mother died of it, my grandmother died, and I don't want it. And she went through this mastectomy, which is like, for me, is like, oh my God, <laughs> what a mistake. And why it's a mistake is this, is that she held the belief that possession of the gene causes cancer. And yet she doesn't want to recognize that 50% of the women that carry the gene never get the cancer. So all of a sudden it says, possession of the gene doesn't cause cancer. <laughs> I go, then what does? And, and as you well know, it's not living in harmony 
with the world and the world around us, the people and everything else. Harmony, very simple point. A garden is not a battleground. That's a fact, okay? We came from a garden. We've turned it into a battleground. We are destroying the garden at this moment. And nature is giving us a wake-up call right now. It says, you either start to learn to live in harmony here or... We don't need you, says Mother Nature, <laughs> because they don't. And in fact, very interesting, wherever humans have made a destruction like Chernobyl area and stuff like that, and they keep the humans out, mm-hmm. within 20 or so years, nature returns it right back to the beautiful garden it was. When humans are not there, the garden reappears. There might be an insight here that says, what do we have to do with that? And the answer is, clearly, <laughs> we're the ones not living in harmony. And that 90% of disease on this planet, nothing to do with genes. Actually, here's a fact of science, so let's just hold it. Less than 1% of disease is connected to genes, mm-hmm. which all of a sudden says, then where the hell is, <laughs> where's the problem here? And the answer is, because we really haven't understood that science that you were bringing up called epigenetics, which is where my research took me. Epi means above. So conventional talk, oh, cancer genes cause cancer okay and i go that's what people believe and i say no no epigenetics causes cancer and they go what's that and i go epi means above that's what we call skin epidermis above a layer called the dermis epi above so epigenetic control is control above the genes and that's when the whole world changes because if you believe the genes control your life then you bought victim i'm a victim i didn't pick these things and here they are mm-hmm. but if you understand epigenetics says wait i control the genes it's like, oh whole different world now and it took over 20 let's see i published this work in 1967 i was working on it and it took until 1990 before conventional science understood the concept of epigenetics and still doesn't fully grab it yet because they keep saying environment controls genes like the environment i'm in is controlling my genes and i go the secret part is this all cells genetically are designed to accommodate the environment, wherever that cell is. If an amoeba is moving from here to here and the environment changes, the amoeba adjusts its life to that environment, epigenetics, okay? When it comes to human, they fail to understand a big point. Yeah, my cells, like every cell, adjusts to the what's going on in the environment. And I go, well, that's interesting because an amoeba is in the environment and directly responds to the environment. My liver cell is not in the environment, it's inside of me, but it has to adjust to the environment. And all of a sudden comes, well, how does a cell inside adjust to the environment? It doesn't touch the, it doesn't see the environment, liver cell doesn't see it. And I go, here is the issue. Between the environment and the cells is the mind, which reads the environment, interprets the environment, and then sends adjusting signals to the cells to match the interpretation of that environment. Mm -hmm. So the point is simply this. My liver cell does not see what's going on in the real world. My liver cell sees what my mind is telling it about the real world. And if my perceptions of life are skewed, then by definition, I'm sending misinformation to my cells, and I'm not living in harmony with the world around me. And that's the whole problem in a nutshell right there. 
your mind is interpreting this and sending adjusting signals to your cells. If the interpretation is off, then logically the adjustment of the cells is off and that's the source of disease. And, uh, that, and this is when I first read about this, it something just went click inside my mind. It just made so much sense. And of course, we're now getting to a place where things that were dismissed by conventional science decades ago, there's more and more studies coming up, research, things are happening that actually corroborate what you already said so many years ago. And you actually said in in an interview that we don't create the life that we want, but we create the life that we're programmed to create. Let's talk about perception and belief and how these factors shape our internal environment and how we function. Our minds are programmed from very early on in in childhood. Can you tell us more about how we're programmed and what kind of limiting programs we carry throughout our lives? Absolutely, because that's the crux of the entire dysfunction on the entire planet is just that point alone. The fact is, yeah, when I kept trying to talk against my colleagues, everybody was in the genes and I'm going, it's not the genes. And they looked at me like the weirdo. But but the simple reality is the placebo effect. Mm-hmm. I've been around for nearly 100 years. And I go, what is it? You got a certain issue, a disease or something. A doctor says, here's the greatest, newest medicine designed just for you. And you take this medicine, you get better. And you say, that was great medicine. And then you find out it was a sugar pill. And then you have to say, then what healed me? Because it wasn't sugar. And the answer was your belief in the pill that was going to heal you, healed you. And everybody goes, oh, yeah, that's called placebo effect. I said, that's belief controlling your biology. And the most important flip side of that, and this is so important for people to understand because nobody talks about it, placebo effect, yeah, positive thinking healed me. Yeah, that's true. They don't recognize the equally powerful other side of the coin, and that is negative belief is equally powerful in controlling your life, but in the opposite direction. The placebo is positive belief healing, Okay. Negative belief called nocebo can create any disease in your body. It can kill you with nothing more than the thought of it. And nobody really wants to talk about negative thinking. I go, that's the majority of the thinking of the average person is negative thinking. And nobody wants to say that that undermines your life every day because it's called nocebo. It can cause any illness. People, 90% of cancer. It's not even connected to any family lineage. 90% just happened. I go, it didn't just happen. It was created. And this is the part that I'm honored to be with you about because your work has been so fundamental to get people to let's change the way we're thinking and living on this planet because we're going downhill, nocebo world. And we can easily just turn the damn thing around, go upward. <laughs> you know, yeah, people have to understand it. Now I go back to the question of programming. Took a long time to get to that, but here's the programming part. The brain is a computer. It's the most fabulous computer science has ever seen in the world, okay? But it is a computer. 
and it has the same functions as a computer. So let's say we, in the old days, before they put the programs in, when you buy the computer, we would buy a computer, come home, push start, boots up, screen lights up, ready to go. And I say, do something. And you go, I can't. I said, what do you mean? You got a brand new computer. I said, first, you have to put programs in to access the computer. And then once the programs are in, then you can use the keyboard to put your information into the computer. Okay, so this is true. The movie, The Matrix, is emphasizing this all around. It says everybody's been programmed. I said, yes, why? Because everybody's brain is a computer. The last trimester of pregnancy, last three months, the screen of the computer boots up. It's lit up. The baby's brain is lit up now. But what can I do? I said, I can't do anything until it gets programs. Ah, so we now know that the brain of a child for the first seven years is in a lower vibration. I go, what do you mean vibration? I go, you, you could read brain function by putting wires on a person's head, electroencephalograph, EEG, okay? And I go, then what does that mean? Is that there are different levels of activity of the brain. Sleeping is the lowest level, and it's got delta is the name of that level. Work at when you go to work, and people listening at, at this point right now are in beta, which is the high level of vibration. And then there's when you go home after work and you relax, the vibration slows down. It's called alpha calm consciousness. And just when you fall asleep, eyes closed, boom, out of here, the next level of brain activity is called theta. Okay, theta vibration is the vibration of a child through age seven, predominant. Theta is hypnosis. Mm. I go, ah, so a child for the first seven years, not even operating the consciousness as a pri priority. It's first operating hypnosis. I say, why? Programming. How'd you get a program? And, and the important simple part is you want to be a member of a family. You want to be a member of a community. How many rules? If I had a book, it would probably be about that thick of how to act. I say, How's an infant going to learn all that stuff? They can't go to school, read, or do any of this. And it goes, no. Nature created the first seven years as hypnosis. So all you have to do is observe the behavior of those around you and then download that behavior, and now you're part of the community. And so you watch your mother, you watch your father, your siblings, community. For seven years, download, download, download. And after age seven, the keyboard opens up. You're awake. I say, well, now I can put what do I want into this computer? And that would be really great. And now comes the monkey wrench that blows the whole thing out of the water. And that is the conscious mind, the creative mind, the one connected to your spirit is the one that types on the keyboard and wants wishes and desires. I ask you, Arian, what, what do you want? And the answer, if you're projecting what you want, that's creativity. That's conscious mind. So the conscious mind has your wishes and desires in it. But monkey wrench, the conscious mind can think. And he goes, I go, thinking means the conscious mind is not looking out at the world and moving toward wishes and desires. By definition, thinking is inside. A thought is inside your head. So the moment you're thinking, the conscious mind is no longer looking out. It's looking in. And I go, well, why is this relevant? I said, well, what's going on in the real world? Well, you're inside, not paying attention. You don't see what's going on when you're thinking. I said, but if you're driving the car, walking, doing your job, apparently just everything goes on. I go, well, then who's running the show when I am thinking? 
And the answer is, well, there's two minds, conscious, wishes, desires, spiritual, creative, subconscious programs. It's the programs. And a lot of people think, oh, subconscious is evil. And I go, no, wait, subconscious is a hard drive on a computer. Is your hard drive on a computer evil? I go, there's no evil to it. I said, but some of the programs might suck. <laughs> and that will mess up your programming. I say, ah, but that's the part that was downloaded. Okay, so I go, oh, here's the monkey wrench then in summary. When I am paying attention to the world, my conscious mind, imagine the body as a vehicle steering wheel, okay? And when I'm paying attention to the world and my conscious mind, I am driving that vehicle to where? Wishes and desires. Mm -hmm. But if I am thinking, I let go of the wheel. Why? Because I'm no longer looking out the window, thinking is looking inside. So I say, Really, if I am driving the car <laughs> and, and I, I start thinking, then I'm, by definition, not paying attention to the road. And I go, I go, no, don't worry. The subconscious with the programs is called autopilot, meaning it knows how to drive a car. <laughs> so you start thinking, conscious mind lets go. It's inside thinking. Subconscious autopilot's driving you. Yeah, but according to the programs that you downloaded, because those are programs that are playing now, not you. But you got the programs from other people. I go, yeah. And I say, some of them have real bad driving habits. <laughs> and if you learn from them, it's like when you're not paying attention, your driving is miserable <laughs> because you're playing the program. So the simple fact comes down to this. We are, this is a vehicle, body. It's a vehicle. And we are the drivers of said vehicle. When we are paying attention, we're driving to where we want to go. When we are thinking, the subconscious program takes us to whatever the program says we want to go, not what we say. And I go, the problem with that is, and here it is, if you're thinking, you're not observing what the program is doing. Why? It's doing it on the outside. You're thinking on the inside. I'll give a simple example. Let's say you and I are in a car at this time and I'm driving the car and we're talking. We go, oh, this is a great conversation. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. And then I look out the window and I realize I haven't paid attention to the road for the last five minutes that we've been talking. And people do this all the time. But here was the point. I ask you, what was the conversation about? And we go, oh, yeah, we talked about this and this and this. And then I ask, what was on the road during the five minutes? And you go, I have no idea what was on the road. Why? I was not paying attention. So now we summarize the whole job down here. And I say, yep, the brain is a computer. We are the operator of said computer. When to get the pro computer off the ground, we had to get programmed seven years just by observing other people. So we download the rules of living in family and community. Then I say, then when we are thinking 95% of the day, the program is playing because when conscious mind's on the inside, somebody's observing the outside. And I go, then the problem is this. Do I see what I'm doing? I say, no, it's just an automatic program. Mm -hmm. I say, the only thing you'll notice that, let's say we started off at the beginning of the day. Today's the day I'm going to find love. Oh my, today's the day I'm going to get healthy. This is a great day. I'm, I'm going to get the best job. And then at five o'clock, you come home and go, eh, it didn't work today. And then I say, why didn't it work? And then you say, that person did this and this person did that. And you can give me all the reasons. And I say, 
And what you didn't notice was 95% of the day, your own programs, 60% of which are dysfunctional, are playing and you're the only one that can't see it. So for 30 some years, and you've read it probably in my book or seen it somewhere, I tell people you have a friend, your friend's behavior very well, and you happen to know your friend's parent. One day you see your friend has the exact same behavior as the parent. So you gotta just tell your friend, you go, hey, Bill, you're just like your dad. I know exactly what Bill's gonna do. And Bill's gonna go, how can you compare me to my dad? I'm nothing like my dad. And people laugh because they experience. I said, that's the demonstration. Everybody else can see that Bill behaves like his dad. Where did he get it? Downloaded it from his dad. How come Bill can't see it? Because Bill is thinking, and that's why he's playing the program. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's like, then if he's playing the program, then he's not paying attention. I go, yeah. And if his program is dysfunctional, then he's being dysfunctional 95% of the day. He's the only one that can't see it. So, which leads to the question, how can we assess our current programming? Oh, you want some answers to some stuff? Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Answer is actually straightforward and very simple. And it goes like this. Look at your life right now. 95% of your life is coming from the program. That's a fact of science because that's how much time we spend thinking. So I say, well, if 95% of my life is from the program, then my life is a printout of my program. So I said, well, you want to know what your program is? I said, look at your life right now and recognize the things that you like that come into your life. They came in because you have a program to acknowledge those things. However, the things you work hard at, struggle over, sweat over, I'm putting a lot of effort in. I'm going to make, I'm working, I'm working real hard. And I go, why are you working so hard? And the answer is the program you have doesn't support that. And you're trying to override the program by putting a lot of effort into it. And I say, look, the effort you put in is 5% of the day. That's the conscious mind's effort in controlling your life. Mm. And that means you're running your program. And that's why if you're struggling with something, it's not because you can't have it. It's because your program doesn't support it. And then you could take the red pill. I go, oh, back to the matrix. Yeah. I go, yeah. Because if you take the red pill, you get out of the program. I go, What could happen if you get out of the program? I go, almost everybody in our audience has taken that red pill at one time or another, and their life was dramatically changed in 24 hours. I go, what was the red pill? Falling in love. When people fall in love, they stop thinking. They stay present. I say, yeah, but if I stay present and I'm not thinking, then I'm running the show. And I go, absolutely. For the first time, you stop playing the damn program. I said, what happens when you stop playing a program? I said, your life could be blah, 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 blah. You meet somebody and 24 hours later, oh, life is so beautiful. Everything is so wonderful. Everything is great. And I go, how do you go blah, 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 blah. And then 24 hours, you have heaven on earth. I go, because science has recognized falling in love is the red pill. You stop defaulting to the program. You start creating strictly from the conscious mind, which is normally 5%. Now it's over 90% of the day. Conscious mind is wishes and desires. What do you think you just did? You stopped playing programs. You started being creator. <laughs> and what did you do when you created? Heaven on earth. I go, oh, geez. <laughs> it's always been here. It's only the damn programs that you don't know are playing that are sabotaging you. And yet then we blame it on others. And that's when all of a sudden you lost power because it was you that did it. You can blame all the people you want, 
But if you don't change, that's not going to change. That's mm-hmm. just a reflection of your programming. Mm-hmm. And you've done this through your whole life, uh, uh, Ariana, and you are a, a, a poster child, so to speak, of the biology of belief, manifesting a happy, youthful life. Very important part that you brought up is uh, not to really blame people for things. And I go, what do you mean? I go, I'm not a religious guy, man. I'm not into religion. I'm into spirituality, but not into religion, which are the rules of spirituality according to X. (laughs) Okay? I can just believe in spirituality, okay? And And it's so important for us to recognize that we are creators. That's what the red pill was. I, I didn't have heaven on earth. I met this person. I stopped playing the programs. I manifested heaven on earth. I said, you could have done that any day. And you could have done that for your entire life. <laughs> if you understood what was it. And I said, you stopped playing the program. Mm-hmm. The moment you stopped playing, you were creator at that point. And that's you've done right. a great job. So that's my poster child for you. You are. <laughs> Thank you, Bruce, and I very most kind words. And I love that you brought up love. In my perception, there are two forces that there's many forces, but there's two basic forces that govern the world and ourselves. And these are love and fear. And we can, yes. either, yeah, we can either live making decisions based on love or on fear. And sadly, most of our programming is fear based. I certainly have a lot of fear based programming that I got from childhood. Some of it was actually not even this lifetime, but the lifetime, the childhood of my fathers who grew up during Second World War and then the hunger years in Germany. Yeah. And a lot of these things are passed down. Genetically. Yeah, exactly. Epigenetically. So a lot of my anxiety and fear that I didn't even know where it came from, it was not even via the quote nurture, but it was things that were outside of my lifetime experience today. So I've done a lot of work on that. I am still doing a lot of work on that. However, if I compare my life from, let's say, 10, 15 years ago to today, it's light years, love years difference. And talking about love and fear, what I found really interesting is you talked about the relationship between it was survival and the amount of energy that goes into growth versus the energy that we put into protection. So can you unpack that for us a little bit? Yeah. The idea of growth is enhancing your vitality. That's mm-hmm. growth. Okay. Uh, and it's Wonderful because you're on a good path toward 150 years, which is should be the average lifespan of a human. And I say the problem with us is that we subconscious, that's where the programs are, conscious, creative spirit, subconscious programs in this case, okay, that the program's running 95% of the time and 60% of those are disempowering, self-sabotaging beliefs, which means 95% of the day, you're not moving toward where you want to go. You're moving toward where the program said you should go. And if we look around, I go, I don't want to go on this program. That seems like a bad trip. I'd rather go somewhere else. The idea was, yeah, but you have to understand that the subconscious is really the expressing the character of your life, not the conscious wishes and desires, but the programs. And that this this becomes so fundamental to us to understand that because if I'm having difficulty, is it because the universe doesn't want me to have that? And I go, no, if I'm having difficulty in life, 
I have to recognize I am the creator of my life. If the creation is not that good, I cannot legally go out and blame everybody out there. I'm Bill and I'm playing these programs, sabotaging myself, and I'm the only one that doesn't see it. And this is why it's so important to recognize because all it took in the example of just trying it out was just falling in love once. And you know that the day after you fell in love, life was not the same as it was the day before. And that's the honeymoon period. And the unfortunate part is this honeymoon period fades away. And I give you a simple reason is because you stop playing the programs when you fell in love. And now red pill is operating and you're creating what you want. But life is busy and you have to start thinking about jobs, chores, things you have to do, responsibilities. And I say the moment you start thinking, then all of a sudden is less time that you're now living in the conscious mind. Now you're living more program. And all of a sudden we start thinking and then guess what? Life returns to the way it was before we met that person. I go, wow, what happened? And I go, the programs took back, uh, took control again. Uh, and, and we have to recognize that, and I brought it up, I forgot to follow through on it, is the subconscious, uh, it's got great stuff in it. <laughs> when, when did you learn how to walk? Before you were two. I said, do you ever have to relearn how to walk? I said, no, it's automatic. I could be 102. I'm still staying, I'm playing the same damn program I got before I was two because they're habits. And the issue about habits is good or bad. A habit by definition resists change. That's why it's a habit. If it would just change all the time, then it wouldn't be a habit anymore. Okay. Habit resists change. So all of a sudden you realize if I'm working and creating a life that's not supporting who I am and they're coming from these beliefs, I have to learn how to change the habit. And once I learn how to change the habit, then I'm free to rewrite the subconscious program. And I can honestly assure you, as you have been experiencing, and I have been for 40 years now, is I changed so many of those programs. I say, so what? And I say, I live heaven on earth every day. I go, why? Things don't bother me. It doesn't mean things go right for me, but I know that things don't bother me because you can let go of things. And so how do you do don't. that? What's that? How, how can you do that? For you and me, we've had certain practices, certain exposure, and we've experienced how these things can change. And your entire life shifts from yeah. your biological to your experience, to your relationships. So for somebody who's still deeply ingrained with these habits and with that old programming, and sometimes when people ask me and I'm trying to share with them, I feel like I'm not doing a good enough job because it's very hard to make somebody understand who hasn't had the experience experience yet so now from the master himself from you both, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we're all our own masters you yeah, have brought this mastery to us this knowledge how can somebody who is still deeply mired in the old programming and habits start to rewrite these old programs start to change these habits and when they don't have the red pill of falling in love yeah I guess uh, there's a story that I think is relevant. I, I like the story. And it's a story about two Buddhist monks walking on a trail. And Buddhist monks, when they take a vow, are never to touch a woman. Okay? They can't touch a woman. So these two monks are walking along. They come to a river, and there's a woman dressed up in her wedding finery, crying. And one monk asks her, what, what's wrong? Why are you crying? She says, I can't. I want to go to the wedding, but I go across that river. I'm going to ruin all my clothes. 
So one of the monks just picks her up, walks across the other side, drops her down, and then the two monks keep walking. About an hour later, the monk that didn't pick up the woman looks at the one that didn't and said, how could you pick up a woman? You're not supposed to pick up a woman. And the other one said, listen, <laughs> you're still carrying her. I dropped her off an hour ago. <laughs> and the idea of carrying is where the problem comes from. One of the things I learned is we have to let go of the carrying because that means you're still attached to something that wasn't positive. Uh, a lot of people think hate is the opposite of love. I say, hate is not. Love and hate are somewhat the same strange relationship. I said, what do you mean? Both of them require the individual to hold on to something. Hate and love. You, you want to hate somebody? You can't ignore them. You have to hold on to them and hate them. You want to love them? You got to hold on and love them. I go, hate is not letting go of anything. Hate is a strange form of love, meaning you're holding on to this thing when uh, you know, you're not getting anything back from it you want, but you're not letting it go. And it's like that monk. I dropped her off an hour ago. If we would learn, that's number one. I had to learn that right away in the beginning because I had to realize, oh my God, what are my thoughts? Because thoughts are the creating part. When did I first actually touch it? And I said, I remember working on it and it's part of my cell research and communications and all that stuff and trying to understand it. And I remember I was trying to go pick somebody up at the airport and I got to a red light and I started, I looked at the clock and all of a sudden I said to myself, oh, geez, I'm not going to make it. I won't get there on time. This isn't going to happen. That person's going to be upset. And for a moment, I was like listening. I just sat out here and I go, what are you talking about? You're projecting every negative consequence of being at this red light at this moment. I said, and since the story that we'll talk about is how the thought is translated into the chemistry, which controls your body, I said, listen to these thoughts. They're not positive. They're all, this won't work. That won't happen. This isn't going to go. And I go, stop. <laughs> what I did, I, I remember I had a CD player and I put the CD flap up against the clock. I said, when I get there is when I get there. <laughs> If I hold on to the wheel and look at the clock, oh, oh, by the time I get there, I'll be burned out. Yeah. And I got there. And what did I find out, which is our truism? Mm -hmm. I let go of controlling the process and kept my mind on the end. There's something called the way, the means, and the end. The means mm -hmm. and the end is I want to be at the airport. I'll pick these people up. The means, I'm going to drive to the airport and get these people up. Now I'm controlling the means. How do I, oh, the light, the speed, the blah, blah, blah. And I go, what is most important is let go of the means, focus on the end. Because if you're focusing on the means, you're trying to control the universe. I got to do it this way and I got to do it this way. I say, no, put out the thought. I'm going to be there at the right time. If I'm late, they're late. If I'm early, fine with that too. And ever since then, I made it a practice of, look, if you start thinking of all the negative things that could happen, and if you could just stop long enough to hear your thoughts, that's the hard part. Thoughts run away. They're just running all the time. That's, there's a point where you have to stop and say, what the hell am I thinking? Because if you start understanding that, you find 60% or more of our thoughts are negative and redundant, same old thoughts, not going to happen, not going to happen. I go, if you're a creator, and those are the, uh, uh, that's the script of your creation, I go, I don't want to be in that lifespan, <laughs> that story. 
changing the script was the most important thing. And that goes back to how do I know what the programs are? I say, the ones that you like, or you don't have to worry about those programs. It's the ones that you want that you struggle and you got to reprogram those. I go reprogramming. I go, finally Lipton's getting around to where's the secret behind this. (laughs) Uh, And the answer is this, the programs are automatic. They run 95% of the day, no thought processes involved. It just runs by itself. You could be in the car driving and just thinking, uh, and the car is being driven by its subconscious, which is a million times more powerful a computer than the conscious mind. And I go, great. I go, so the issue is this, is I want to change the program. I go, ah, that's where the, the biggest problem has always been. I go, what do you mean? I say, people talk about the mind, like there's one mind. I go, that's the failure. There are two minds. They're interdependent. They have different functions. And most importantly, they learn in different ways. So I say, okay, what are the two minds? Well, I'll start off with the most advanced one, the conscious mind connected to spirit. And it's a creative one and has wishes and desires. And I go, that's a great mind. That's the one that takes you where you want to go. And I go, and the subconscious one, I go, oh, The subconscious is the hard drive with programs in it. I go, so what? And I go, listen, you want to change your computer? How about this? Go up and talk to it for a while. Come on, computer. You can change. I'll wait here. Come on, change. I don't like what you're doing. Oh, man. Glitch. No, I don't want it. Fix it. You do it. I go, how much talking to the computer will it take before the computer changes? And the answer is, it will never change. I go, why not? There's nobody in the hard drive and you're talking to a piece of mechanical stuff and there's nobody in there. And I go, guess what? Subconscious, nobody's in there. And you can talk to your blue in your face. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And I, like you're going to change the subconscious. I go, great talking. Nothing is going to happen because nobody's in there. Just programs are in there. So the only thing you can do is rewrite a program. And I go, how do you rewrite a program? So how do you know where the record button is? Oh, the record button. There is a record button. And I go, oh, so here's the point. First seven years, we were in a stage of hypnosis, theta. And theta is download, okay? And the interesting fact is this. Well, what was going on in theta? I said, hypnosis. I said, so if I get into hypnosis, that's how I can put a program in? I go, yes, you can. I said, do I need to see a hypnotherapist? I go, no, this is the cool part. Because remember I told you there were different vibrations, the highest one, beta, school, come home, calms down, alpha. And the moment you fall asleep, there's a window opening up, which is theta before you hit the lowest one, delta, which is sleep. So there's a period of time after you just went to sleep where the mind is now operating in theta. I say, so what does it mean? I say, put some earphones on at night. Play a, a program that supports what you want, a program of what, what do I want in this life kind of thing. And I say, you put the earphones on just before you fall asleep. And while you're still awake for a moment, you might hear the recording for a little bit. But the moment you go to sleep, the recording's going in, the subconscious theta is hearing it. Conscious is sleeping. You have no idea what the hell is going on. I love it. Education where you go to sleep and that's when the education begins. I go, oh, that's a, I could do that one. And so the fact is, yeah, it's called self-hypnosis. Put the earphones in and you have to repeat it. 
a number of times because it's only a short window of theta, so it takes a number of times to repeat it. So, yeah, but that happens for the first seven years, hypnosis, theta, I, recording, just that's how the program got in. But I say you still learn programs after age seven. You learn how to drive a car, play an instrument, do all these things. I go, oh, those, that's another form of habit. I say, how'd you get that habit? And the answer was repetition, mm. practice. You repeated something so frequently that the system downloaded the process. And that becomes a behavior through habituation, <laughs> repetition, new agey talk, fake it till you make it. I go, what does that mean? I said, well, you're so sorry, miserable, and you want to be happy. I said, then what do you want to do? Well, I want to have a program happy. I said, how do you get that? I just say, every day, as many times as you can, no matter how miserable you are, you just go, I am happy. I am happy. Yeah. Repetition mm -hmm. repeats it. And there'll be a day where you'll just wake up happy. Why? Program installed at this point. And that's how you change it. So first one is self-hypnosis. Second one is repetition practice. And a third one is really so exciting because it's a new form of psychology called energy psychology. And energy psychology, there are many modalities. Just simply my website, Bruce. Lipton.com has about 25 to 30 modalities of energy psychology with a little description and a connection to a website. Take a look at it. Energy psychology engages something called super learning. I go, what's super learning? I go, maybe you've seen somebody read a book. For example, they pick up a book and they turn to a page and all they do is just move their finger down the page, just move it. As fast as that happened, just right there, the subconscious can read every word on that page. I go, oh, I say, so what's, what do I want to do? I, I want this super learning event to occur while I'm putting a program in. I go, so what does that mean? I say, the repetition, the self-hypnosis, this is, takes a time period of a lot. Mm -hmm. energy psychology can change a program you had your whole life in 15 minutes mm -hmm. and it has and i've been my whole life i got redirected and i'm living today for what reason in the world that i'm living and i say because what i started to learn is that uh, i'm the creator of this my consciousness is a program and i started to rewrite my consciousness to conform to my wishes and desires so that my programs now are the same as my wishes and desires. And I go, so what? And I go, 95% of the day, you are playing these programs. You're not even putting any effort into it because you're thinking and the programs are playing. And up to now, these have been dysfunctional programs that create dysfunction in your life. And I say, but if I put the wishes and desires into the subconscious mind, then 95% of the day, I'm playing wishes and desires. And guess what? Here I am today living heaven on earth. I am absolutely enjoying it, the vitality of it, the desire to wake up and be here another day. And it's interesting, all of the crap and chaos is going around the world, which is part of our wake-up call by nature that we're going extinct until we change our behavior. I, I walk through the same world with a completely different experience. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't mean everything works out, but guess what? When it doesn't work out, so I know there must be a better way to do it, and I didn't think of it, but nature will help me get there. Uh, and so we stop directing how to get to our destination. 
we put in the destination and the function of the subconscious 95% of the day is to manifest that destination. Mm -hmm. If it's the destination of health and 95% of the day, your subconscious programs are going to be pushing you toward doing everything healthy because that's just a natural unthinking Mm -hmm. habit to take care of yourself and to all these things. So the part that's so critical is do my programs support where I'm going or do they challenge where I'm going? That's what we talked about. Look at their world. You're in it. <laughs> if it's working or not. And when it's not working at something, then it says, don't try and change the world. You come inside, you change the program. It's a hell of a lot easier to change yourself than to change the whole world around you. And that's when you start to reprogram to put in. And the only most important caveat of reprogramming is the subconscious mind does not know time. Mm-hmm. It's very critical. If I could speak to your subconscious mind, I say, when did you learn how to walk? It'll go now. Because it can't, it doesn't see past or future. It just says program. Whatever the program is, that's the program. When did you get it? Now. So the issue about the subconscious mind, this is so critical. Let's summarize why it's critical. 95% of your life is coming from the subconscious mind. These are programs that you got, but from other people. They don't generally answer what you want in your life because I don't even want what they have. <laughs> I look at my father and mother and say, no, I don't want that. <laughs> but I got programmed by that. So the 95% of my life is coming from the downloaded programs I got from them. Quite dysfunctional. And then there was a point that says, no, I want to change. So then I said, what do you do? The subconscious mind. Remember when we were young, there was something called paint by numbers. You get a picture and it's all carved up and there's little numbers in each of the things. And there's the paint with the numbers and you become Picasso. It's great. But here's the point. The subconscious mind is paint by numbers in reverse. What does that mean? I say, first you start with the colored picture and then the mind breaks it down into colors like in the paint box. Those colors are hormones and neuropeptides and growth factors. That's the paint that's painting your body. So the picture in your mind is by the brain is converted from picture into complementary chemistry. And that chemistry goes through the body epigenetically, controlling your biology to what? Match the picture. Mm. So if you have a negative picture, then the function of the mind is to manifest that negative experience. And that's why if I say, what if I want to change the picture? I want to have happy ending, heaven on earth, health, love, all these things. I go, I got to put the program in. Then I go, here's the point about the timelessness of it. It's a program. Let's just say today, I say, today I'm going to program and say, I want to be healthy. And I go, that's a program. Okay. And I say, let's come back next year. Let's push the button on the play again push the button. I want to be healthy. I said, you've been a whole year. You still want to be healthy? I say, ah, that's where the problem is. The subconscious can't see future. It just will always keep it off. Why? The future is not here yet. You will be healthy, but not anytime I know. Okay. So the caveat that was most important, I just want to bring up is when you do a program, you have to put in as if you already have the program. I am healthy. That's a program. If you're not healthy, guess what? The brain now has a picture that says, I am healthy. The function of that is to release the chemistry to what? To create healthy. And all of a sudden, you can get healthy. But if you say, I will be healthy, 
I say, well, then you'll never get there. So the hardest part is if you're really deathly sick with something and you're saying, I am healthy, I say, you got to say it that way because then the brain is going to take the picture in the mind, convert it into the chemistry that complements that picture. If it's a picture of health and vitality, of course, then the chemistry is going to come out as health and vitality. You know this. I don't have to explain it to you. I just want to reinforce what you've been talking to your audience about, and that is you've really got to look at the picture. What are you doing here? What is it? What do you want? And how come you don't have it? And if you don't have it and you have a desire for it, then recognize this. You're not a victim. <laughs> You're the creator. Then that means you have to take responsibility and stop looking for the outside people to change. Start recognizing, I need to change. And this is a hard part because it's coming to truth to yourself. But if you don't come to truth to yourself, then you're going to live out this phony life that is not really what you want, doesn't give you the health or the vitality or the heaven on earth that you're looking for, and you're the creator of it, and you have to stop. If I'm the creator, then I'm going to have to look not out at where the problem is. I'm going to have to look in where the problem is and rewrite these programs. Can you do it? Yeah, I can do it. I can tell you. I have two lifetimes on this planet. Pre-knowledge. Post-knowledge is heaven on earth. Pre-knowledge is what a struggle this son of a bitch is. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful, Bruce. And I think it is, we are powerful beyond belief beyond what we believe are actually as powerful as what we believe, uh, you know, about ourselves. I love what you just shared about hypno self-hypnosis. I used to practice that a lot. And this is actually inspiring me to tonight to pick that up again, because I realized in retrospect that what I was working on pre-programming a couple of years ago actually worked. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I, then I completely forgot about it because I got what I wanted and I even forgot to connect it to like, oh yeah. I was doing self-hypnosis for a few weeks or months every evening. It was always yeah. subliminal programming. It was certain messages that I programmed myself with, which was amazing. And the energy psychology, that is super fascinating. I recommend to everyone to go to your website and check that out. So the one thing, of course, is our personal programming. The other is us as the human collective. And of course, we're getting barraged by messages of fear. We look at the news media. I spend maybe five to 10 minutes a day, not even reading, but just scanning headlines to stay informed about yeah. what is influencing the world right now. I don't want to read into it because <laughs> I don't want their world to come into my picture. Yes. Because if their world comes to my picture, then the chemistry that's coming out of this head is not the one I want. No, not at all. And if you look at what so many people are consuming every day, and they might even, doesn't matter whether it's CNN or Fox News or I don't know, whatever in Germany, the IAD news, if you have that barraging for hours on end, and even at nighttime, that's the last thing you read or you listen to. It's pretty horrific. You're in this constant state of fight or flight, fear. How can we as a collective overcome what's happening there and which clearly is also steering us in the wrong direction? You said it yourself, Mother Nature is giving us a wake-up call. And it's not about save the planet. The planet will be fine. It's, oh, it's, it's, that's it's a, that was the interesting part because wherever humans are excluded, mm -hmm. the planet comes right back into beauty. So it's a little yes. message there that says if there are no humans, this thing is coming back pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's about us. 
on the planet, even if it's 10,000 years, 100,000 years, that's nothing for the planet yeah. to get rid of all the plastic waste or whatever, however long it would take. It's about us. It's about our own, not only survival, but our thriving or not thriving. So what do we need to do to overcome these obstacles? Of course, you can't fix the world, like you said. That's much harder than reprogramming yourself. But if we are looking to link up with others and yeah. to move the needle into a better direction for humanity, what are some steps you would suggest we take? The first one, you did it and I did it. And that was simply this. There's a point where you have to say, am I going to be responsible for myself? Mm. I'm not going to change the world. Why? I can change myself. I cannot change the world. But what's the significance? I said, what if you change yourself and we look at you and we say, look how healthy and vibrant she is and how happy she is compared to everybody else. What's she doing different? And then all of a sudden they want to know and they'll ask and they do that. But I can't go to somebody and say, your life sucks. And if you do what I say, it will be really good because everybody's trying to tell them that. And I'm not going to do that because it's everybody controls themselves. I cannot control anybody else. But that means everybody needs to take personal responsibility, which we have been programmed not to have. Yes. Oh, my health. I have nothing. The genes did this. I, I, I could do all that. No, the genes did this. I go, I have no responsibility for that. And I go, uh-oh. And I go, so wh where's the issue? And I said, we must be responsible for our own lives. And if we become so, then people like you that glow in taking care of your own life and not conforming to the other ones will attract the light that you have, attracts the people, because someday they're going to say, Ariana, what, what is it you're doing? Because sure, it looks a lot better than what I'm doing. And the moment they ask, is the moment the door is open for you to help somebody. The biggest issue, and it really is so sad for so many people, is that you have family members or very close friends, and they're not doing well, and you want to, come on, let me help you do this, and you do all this effort, and they don't change. And there's a simple law here. It says they will not change until they're ready to change. I cannot make them change. And so there, we spend a lot of effort, and this is because we're humans. We have compassion. That's what we want to do. We want to mother everything and be nice and stuff. And yet people aren't listening. I say, what does that mean? That frustrates the hell out of you. And I go, don't be frustrated by what? Don't offer anything until they're ready to ask you about something. Because then they're approaching, I want to change. But I can't change somebody else. So that becomes a really important part, just to live the best life you can live. Because people will observe and say, how come you're so happy or you're so healthy? And as soon as they ask that question, the door is open now for you to become a teacher and to help them at that point. They don't ask the question. Don't waste a lot of your energy on this because it's energy is life. And it's like throwing your energy away when nobody wants to know what you're saying until they want to know what you're saying. Very true. You can't rescue people from themselves. No. Uh, yeah. And it's so hard because some of them are so close to you. And you're seeing this from a distance because you're looking at the world with a different set of glasses. Your rose-colored glasses are different than their green-colored glasses. Uh, and the idea is you can see the world this way. They cannot. Yes. I and can that's the hardest part is because we want to bring health and happiness to all. And so therefore, the conclusion that I've come to is I can't change anybody. 
but I'll give a lecture if they want to come to the lecture. Fine. If they like what they say, I hear, I say, or whatever, then fine. That'd be great. I don't, I'm not like autocrat. Do this. Do that. I'm not the guru. I don't give a damn for being a guru. I just want to say, here's the biological mechanism. Do what it, do with it what you want. I let go of this. Here's the information. Knowledge is power. Okay. But if they don't take the knowledge in, then by definition, they have no power. <laughs> I go, when they're ready, they're going to be ready. But people are waking up now. They've been pushed through this whole COVID crap and bull stuff. This is not, th there's an issue here. And let me just put the overriding issue. There's two overriding issues. Number one, we are precipitating what is called a mass extinction because we're undermining the web of life, destroying the environment and not recognizing we are the environment. If the environment goes, so do we. People don't recognize you can't keep destroying the environment. <laughs> That's number one. Okay. Number two is this. The leadership of this world is quite familiar with the fact that the system is a fail. It's failing. It's collapsing. And as being leaders, the most important thing they want to do is how do you hold on to the control instead of letting chaos break out all over the world? Well, something, for example, is paper money is fake money. I mean, what do you mean fake money? I said, the value changes every day. Look on the stock market. Oh, the dollar's worth this much today. It's worth this much tomorrow. It's just, I go, there's no set value. It's in one day, it's going to, what's the value's value? Zero. And that's inevitable. And they want to hold on. I use an excerpt from a video, great video, older version. It's called Sicko by Michael Moore. And there's an interview with a British parliamentarian by the name of Tony Benn. And I just love it. And I show this to my lectures. And Tony Benn in the House of Parliament just talked straight in the camera. He said, governments do not want a healthy, intelligent population because they are difficult to control. And I go, holy crap. I'm old enough to remember post-war, uh, big one, WW2, <laughs> when the U.S. post-war was like, oh, my God, it was just climbing everything. The technology was the best. The infrastructure was the best. The education was the best. Everything was, number one, good. And now I look at it, how many 70-plus years later, and go, we're totally unhealthy. We're, you know... The system is no intelligence. The intelligence has gone from the system. Health and intelligence have disappeared. And I go, what a coincidence or accident. I go, no, it was an intention. I can hold you down if you are powerless. And the idea of COVID was a world test to say, listen, here, fact of life. People only have power in community. An individual has no power. So community is where power and evolution is going to come from. COVID was everything to break up community. Don't look at each other. Put masks over. So I can't read what your facial expression is. Stay six or seven feet away from each other. Don't get close. Don't communicate with each other. Don't go here. Don't go there. And for a period of time, community in the world was completely broken down and controlled by a handful of people that made the rules. And I go, that to me was a test. Because when it really hits the fan, they're going to have to do some total control to keep it back together again. Is it going to hit the fan? Inevitably, it's going to hit the fan. Is it a thousand years from now? I say, no, less than two decades. What do you mean? I go, NASA scientists in a worldwide study came to a conclusion with a scientific research, and here's the fact, and it's 
I'm going to emphasize what the title of the article was. NASA predicts that industrial civilization, that's the one we're in, is facing, and this is what I emphasize, an irreversible collapse within the next couple of decades. Civilization is falling apart. Why? Because if we keep running it the way we're running it, we're going to kill ourselves because we're destroying nature and we won't be here anyway. So nature is giving us this call. People are losing their jobs and things. I go, yeah, this is in preparation for what? A new thing that's going to happen. So uh, my analogy is very simple. There's a thing called metamorphosis where a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. And I go, a caterpillar is a voracious organism. You put it on a plant, it'll eat every damn leaf off the plant. But when the environment is gone, the caterpillar puts itself into a cocoon and then out comes the butterfly. So what's going on in the cocoon? I go, a caterpillar is a community of millions of cells. When it's eating and voracious, all the cells are working, digestive system, muscle system, everything is working. But then when it goes into the cocoon, that's because there's no more growth. It's ended. I said, what about the digestive cells? I said, oh, no more jobs for them. No more digestion. How about the muscle cells? Nope, we're not moving anymore. That, and I said, what happens? The cellular population breaks up from organized community to now there's like a soup of cells. And in that soup of cells, there are specialized cells, which I love the name is called imaginal cells. And they have a vision of the future butterfly. And their function is to coordinate the soup of cells. Instead of being out of work, let's start to come together and create this new one going this way. So there's a period of breakdown, and simultaneously there's a period of building up to something new. We, as a civilization, are in a cocoon. We're seeing the civilization that is there, that voracious caterpillar that eats up the environment, destroying us, is coming to an end. Can't do this anymore. Then what? Well, the cells are no longer employed so much. And then I say, well, out of work. Now what? I say, this is where imaginal cells and darling, you are an imaginal cell. Because the teachers that teach us to go from the collapse to the new are imaginal cells. And the imaginal cells are here to what? Help guide the population that's falling apart from the old structure to create this new, better structure. It's outside the box. It's over here now. We're building this over here. And we're in this process right now. The falling apart of the system is... You cannot build a sustainable world on today's philosophy, politics, economy. It can't work. The only way you can build a sustainable world is that has to collapse. And then we build a new one or in the process. So we're watching the collapse and everybody's afraid of the collapse. I'm going, yay for the collapse. Because if it doesn't collapse, then the end is a couple of decades away. That's not that long. <laughs> and it's going to fall apart by nature anyway. So if we get the jump on it, we can build something to get us into that future. Uh, and your program is a very critical program for that, Ariana, because you're teaching what? There's a better way. Yes. And that better way can take us from the destruction we see into the heaven we can create. And that's where we are. And I want to thank you for the opportunity to let me even spout from my little soapbox the story of, hey, there's a brighter day coming right now, but we have to be participants, not passive. This is not wait. You have to be the one that is taking the, the step to move. If you're waiting, then I'm sorry, you're wasting your time and you might not survive 
mm-hmm. the crash that is impending. Yes, and I feel I am an eternal optimist, and I feel it's really a time to not look outside for saviors. That's what has always brought us misery. <laughs> If you look back, exactly, because you give up. up your power to somebody, yeah. and then I said, "But what's their motive?" <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. We are immensely powerful, and we need to rise together, eye level with each other leaders linking arms with leaders and we need leaders everywhere in whichever types of communities whether it's a small community of women somewhere in Alabama whether it's a community of men in India whoever feels called to change something within themselves and then share this to those who want are willing to listen and also to learn and rise as co-creators as also co-leaders. I, this is a call to all of us. This is the wake-up call. You're either going to respond to it or you're going to die with it. This is the issue. Why? A disease is not coming from genes. It's due to disharmony disease, okay? The disharmony, that people are caught up in the disharmony but do not see the resolution. They're the ones that are going to, they're getting very sick. And COVID didn't, COVID, everyone thinks that was the most vicious virus. I go, no, it wasn't. 40% of the people that got tested had COVID. They didn't even know they had COVID, okay? Who were the ones that had issue? The answer is this. People which were already failing in their health, they, they had what are called comorbidities, things that are challenging them. Obesity, number one, is the number one. 78% of the serious illnesses were people that were obese. Number two, diabetes type two, which is lifestyle. Again, it has nothing to do with genes. Number three, stress, which <laughs> that's outside coming in, all this stuff. I say, who were the ones that got sick and really sick? I say, they were not healthy. And we want to say, oh, the virus did that. I go, no, they were not healthy. And then we want to blame it on that. As again, that's the same story. I say, if you don't take care of this, stop blaming the outside. It's this on the inside. So rather than telling people, you know what, people, let's get healthy around here. No, let's just isolate and wait, and someday this will disappear. And I go, it's never going to disappear. It is disappearing in the sense of, of the crisis character of it. Why? Yep. It's going to become a natural coronavirus, which we have every year coronaviruses, okay? That's a standard flu virus. It was really harsh in the beginning because nobody had any pre-exposure to it. Okay. But since we had coronaviruses for years, there were people that had some cross reactivity. So that when they got COVID, their immune system was already on top of it. But others had no exposure to it. So their immune system had to be called in. And then comes the problem. Is your immune system working up to level? And I go, number one, listen to this. Stress hormones shut off the immune system to conserve energy to run away from the tiger okay and it's so effective that medical doctors when they want to transplant an organ from person a into person b and you don't want the immune system of the recipient to reject that organ they give the patient stress hormones before the operation why it'll shut down the immune system and i go and how's our immune system collectively in this population i said well, how's our level of stress <laughs> all of a sudden you see that's not working Yeah, and yeah. disease is not happening because of genes. Disease is because from the very, very beginning thing that we said when we started. 
<laughs> disease is happening because the people are not in harmony with their world. And stress is one of the most Googled terms, not just in the US, but globally. And I want to, before we press the record button, and for those who are just listening to this and not watching this, you have the be most beautiful background, and you explained it's the view from your porch in New Zealand. Yes. And you haven't been back there in a while because of the um, mandate of having a vaccination to reenter. Yeah, uh, I, I teach it. I've been teaching immunology as a professor for 15 years. When this whole COVID story started to come out, I just backed away as an immunologist. And I go, this is not right. This whole thing is, this is wrong. Something's going on wrong here. The numbers in the beginning were scary numbers. Everybody's going to die. I go, just watching the news caused the stress hormones yes. to be released, which by just watching the news, you already got weak. Your immune system was being shut down watching the news. The more they put people into fear, the sicker the people got. And the idea is, boy, we got to get off of that news station and all that crap because they're selling weakness. Because when people are weak, they're easier to control. 100%. And about the vaccination itself, what are your thoughts on that? 100% wrong. Yes. I say, why? Nature already has a vaccination mechanism. I go, what do you mean? I say, what do you think? We came without any ability to... to To fight the world's uh, infectious agents? I go, everybody came with that ability to fight the infectious agents. And I go, so what about it, this ability? I say, where is the immune system learning? And here's the issue. In the throat, there are three pairs of structures called tonsils, three sets of tonsils, six tonsils altogether. And if they look at the conventional textbook, it says, oh, this is where when you swallow negative things, we call antigens, the scary things. When antigens are coming into your body, the tonsils will protect you from killing these things. I go, completely wrong. The tonsils are learning centers. So whatever comes in through your body, through eyes, ears, nose, mouth, whatever is coming in, The tonsils are learning from what was coming from the environment. The tonsils do not create the reaction to stop them. They just create the knowledge that they exist. The cells then leave the tonsils and go to the salivary glands and other parts of the body where then they engage in the protection response. So when you see in a book, tonsils are for protection, I go, no, tonsils are for learning. And if you interfere with this, then you interfere with learning of the immune system. So I say, so what's the significance? You want to teach the immune system, then do it the way it knows how, orally. You put things in because the tonsils are going to teach you. When you put something in under your skin, you're bypassing an intelligence of a system that we think we're smart. I always love the hubris of we're humans and we are smart. I go, yeah. you're made out of cells. The cells created us. Recognize this. The cells are the intelligent organism of what's going on. We're just a community of cells. When the community is harmony, God health. When it's in disharmony, you have dis-ease. And if you bypass the intelligence by putting a needle in under the skin, there's no protection agency there at all. Now, 
it's wild card. What do you think is going to happen here? And I go, with the current COVID situation, we now find that the side effects of the COVID vaccine are more toxic than the COVID. And all of a sudden you realize, oh my God, the damn pharmaceutical people are again interfering with us. Very simple fact that most people should know is if a drug you take works, it works because there's a receptor for that drug on your cells so that when it comes in, it can engage the receptor. And I go, do you think Mother Nature put those receptors in there to wait for the pharmaceutical company to make a drug? I go, no. If you've got a receptor, you make the drug. Then I go, well, if I'm making the drug, then why am I getting it from them? I say, because your consciousness is interfering or your subconscious is interfering with that immune response. And all of a sudden I said, I can make every drug. Why? Because if I have a receptor, then by God, I must make a chemical that binds to that. Otherwise, why would I make the receptor? And all of a sudden then it says, if I'm the pharmacy in my head, then why am I not making the prescription? And the answer is, you're the pharmacist in your mind. <laughs> Do you want to make this prescription or just want to let it go? You got choices. Okay. Yeah. The, and this is important. And for me, again, I enjoy being with you because I see how you've taken care of your life. And I said, how do people look for change? I said, they don't just come up and say, tell me something. They look and say, oh, what, Ariana, what are you doing? You seem to be doing pretty well when everybody else around here is not doing that well. What are you doing? Question, teaching follows. And that's the game. So thank you for letting me be here with your community because you and I know what we're talking about, but the most important part is our community that's listening to this program are the most important people because these are the people that have the opportunity to participate in evolution. Again, it's not a passive event. To become evolved, then you become evolved, and then the rest of the world will follow us. And so thank our audience for being there. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Bruce, for being so generous with your time and wisdom. Those people who want to connect with you can find you at brucelipton.com. Simple. Lots of everything we talked about, videos, audios, written articles, freely downloadable at that website. Outstanding. Much, much gratitude to you, dear Bruce. Be Continue to be well. I know you will. I so appreciate it. We'll be laughing all the way to that 150-year mark, okay? Yes, sir. <laughs> thank you, and thank you, dear audience, for listening. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution.